Is this wrestling? Uh, no, Peg, it's C-SPAN. That's Sandra Day O'Connor and Ruth Bader Ginsburg settling their differences. <laughs> of course it's wrestling. Well, you know, I don't Peg, really... Peg, hold it. I know what you're going to do. In a little while, you're going to say, is this all that's on? And then you're going to make me change it because you know I like it. Now that's just not true. <laughs> is this all that's on? Let's rock. I get a open. No Man Presents, live from the nudie bar, the Married with Children podcast. Welcome back to the Married with Children podcast here in the nudie bar. And what's 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 that noise can you can you hear those i I thought i heard some bells or 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 something or oh look father christmas is here thank you santa i am look guys santa's in the nudie bar it looks like he's enjoying the show i mean there's a there's a sexy lady over there with tinsel on her hooters (laughs) hello father christmas Anyway, this is the Married with Children podcast, and we are reviewing The Worst Noel. Season 8, episode 13, the fourth of six Married Children Christmas episodes. My name is Annabelle, and do you guys remember the Christmas party I threw last year in the nudie bar? You know, when I got 95 weenies in my mouth? A cocktail! Cocktail weenies, I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, cocktail weenies. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway... Yeah. Anyway, it's a it's a little little packed in here tonight, isn't it? So, who do I have with me today? Well, uh, my name is Matt, and uh, here in my house, I've just watched the fifty third airing of the finale of Cheers on NBC. Makes a little change from It's a Wonderful Life. And my name's Steve, and I've just been looking around. I just found out that my Christmas stocking is as empty as my bed. Hi, and this is Luigi. And for Christmas this year, I will be shooing the homeless. <laughs> Right, so this is The West Noel, as I said, Season 8, Episode 13, first aired December 19th, 1993, and from our good friends at IMDb. On Christmas Eve, Kelly and Bud try to sneak in a jukebox to give to their parents, who spend the entire show sitting in front of their TV set, arguing with each other over the proper speed for channel switching. Also, Marcy and Jefferson throw a wild Christmas party next door and do not tell Al about it. Written by Larry Jacobson and directed by Amanda Burse. Yay. Yay. <laughs> I'm also excited about Larry Jacobson. He's been a great writer on the show. Yes, I agree with that. And um, Amanda Burse has talked about this episode before, not on our podcast, but on another podcast. And she picked this episode specifically to talk about. And she's, so she's a fan. She said it was a lot of fun to make. And I believe her. So we'll touch on that a little bit later. But there's a, there's a lot to do here. So uh, let's get into it. Sunday, it's Christmas Fox style, starting with a celebration at Martin's. If you don't give me some of that sandwich, I'm going to bust your head open with this bag of nickels. An all-new episode, and... Happy holidays, you despicable little Grinch. Not everyone's getting into the holiday spirit. Where will people learn you just can't flush your fruitcake? An all-new living single. Then, catch the bash at the Bundy's. Do you have any contraceptives? I got a magazine with Whoopi Goldberg on the cover. An all-new Married with Children. It all starts Sunday at 8, 7 central. 
And now, happy uh, early Christmas, everybody. Yeah, Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, everybody. We usually say, we, we usually have a, a happy Christmas in July down here, but we've just missed July. That's, uh, that's just so us Australians who bake ourselves in the summertime at Christmas can find out what Christmas is actually like when it's cold. <laughs> well, I, I don't know if I brought the cold with me, so I really appreciated the invitation for this one, Annabelle. So just so everybody knows, you know, usually I fly one hour. It's a one-hour shuttle flight to the nudie bar in Chicago. So I had to fly 24 hours to get here. Uh, I'm a little jet-lagged, but uh, I've been schooled. You know, in the Australian nudie bar, I think us Americans think that we're supposed to drink Fosters. So instead, I was given some real Australian beer, which is VB. You know, we have Santa hats on the strippers. We have Santa hats on the kangaroos and the koalas. And we're having a grand old time. Yes, the hosts are wearing Christmas hats too. Indeed. And Christmas <laughs> shirts. They look just like Father Christmas. It's Christmas in the Bundy household, and of course all we've got to go by that is their Christmas tree, if you want to call it that. Their single branch. Pathetic, isn't it? Yeah, definitely I think the path- most pathetic TV Christmas tree I've ever seen in my life. But besides that, there's nothing else in the whole house. <laughs> no, Nothing. <laughs> And the title of the episode, of course, is uh, The Worst Noel, which is obviously a pun on the first Noel, which is a traditional English Christmas carol with Cornish origins, most likely from the early modern period or possibly earlier. And now, for your Christmas viewing pleasure, Channel 2 presents... Anything but It's a Wonderful Life. It's a Wonderful Life. It's a Wonderful Life. It's a Wonderful Life. <laughs> It's the good, the bad, and the ugly. Oh, great. Right after, it's a wonderful life. So I was looking for something to watch on TV that is not It's a Wonderful Life. And Married Children has explored It's a Wonderful Life before, but Luigi, you know more about this, being our resident American. (laughs) So, yeah, so thanks. (laughs) Yeah, so this joke on It's a Wonderful Life is is also very much a time capsule. So you have to be of a certain age to actually appreciate the joke. Now, we know that the title was used for the very famous Christmas episode with Sam Kennison. It's a Wonderful Life is a 1946 American Christmas fantasy drama film produced and directed by Frank Capra. It's one of the most beloved films in American cinema and has become traditional viewing during the Christmas season. Now, the reason why the joke was done was because Between like 1976 and 1996, the film had come out of copyright due to a clerical error. And what happened was, and I don't know the way things work here in Australia, but in the US when something is no longer copyrighted, it can be broadcast or played at will. So this film was actually a box office flop when it came out in about Christmas time of 1946. And the film actually had been forgotten. But in the mid-1970s, when this copyright uh, had lapsed, every single television station played it continuously. Between Thanksgiving and Christmas, every day and at all hours of the day and night. Because it was free content. And in the United States, you had a lot of independent television stations during this time period as well. Nowadays, most of the smaller television stations are part of larger networks. So if you grew up between the mid-1970s and the mid-1990s and you were watching television, inevitably, It's a Wonderful Life might be playing on five different television stations at the same exact time. 
And it was because of the constant playing that it actually became this big hit. Like it almost became a tradition. It actually, it's a tradition my parents had. Now, since the mid nineties, around 1997, so after the show aired, the copyright was successfully renewed. So it now plays on NBC twice a year, around Thanksgiving and close to Christmas. And that's it, so twice a year. But you know, the joke here is that Al is flipping through his newly acquired cable box of 40 stations. And there's some more story to that. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But that's what the joke's about. And by the way, when they mention that he's watching Channel 2, he's actually watching a CBS station in Chicago. Okay. Okay, that's interesting because I, I thought it was something to do with, yeah, It's a Wonderful Life is on the same time every year. I think what we have out here, I think the guys would would know as well, that out here at 7.30 every Christmas, we see National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. That is on every year. But this one sounds like it's on very, a number of channels at once, which is a bit different. Yeah, we still get It's a Wonderful Life. It's on cable and they do show it at Christmas. But yeah, just one channel that I saw last year. But as you say, yeah, we get we get Chevy Chase each Christmas now. Yeah, I, I've never seen It's a Wonderful Life right through. Is anybody else? I've never watched it. I have. Um, I've seen it once. Five, five yeah. years ago. I, I will say it's probably one, it's my favorite holiday film. You know, I guess for all the dark married with children humor that I enjoy, I actually do enjoy <laughs> It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah, and I do. And just so you know, my, my probably my second favorite film is Christmas Vacation. <laughs> I do see that a few times a year as well. I know I've gotten some uh, redemption nice. points with Annabelle because of that. Right? <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, it's, it's a wonderful life. I mean, like a lot of things, it's been parodied so many times that even if you haven't seen it, if you've seen a parody, you know the story and it's sort of the parody is enough almost to some extent. But I like that you like it genuinely. So that's, that's, that's kind of nice. Uh, Steve, you said you hadn't seen the whole thing, right? It, the point of the film, and this is, it was actually the director's, Frank Capra's favorite film, is that it's the story of how one person's life matters. Uh, there's a story about how uh, there was a politician in the US, I think it was in the 80s, who was contemplating suicide. And some, I think he had spoken to it with a friend, and it was around Christmas time. And at the at the time, the friend gave him a VHS cassette of "It's a Wonderful Life," and he decided not to kill himself after viewing that. So it's it's very interesting. Now, Married with Children parodied the whole thing in their own way, in the Bundy way, but uh, it's a very heartwarming film, and a lot of people may not necessarily be Christian, love the film. I mean, the film takes place at Christmas time, but it's not actually supposed to be a Christmas film. It's just that, like, the main events happen at Christmas time. Right. Well, there's another film that um, our spots is on, is The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Have you guys seen that? <laughs> a long time ago. Yep. However I want to. Yeah. So this is actually another one of my favorite films. This is the most famous of the spaghetti westerns. It's one of my dad's favorite films uh, who turned me on to it when I was very young. It was 
definitely under the age of 10 when I first saw this film. And I continue to see it probably about once a year. And coincidentally, I saw it about two weeks ago with my dad. Any idea why it's called a spaghetti western, guys? Oh, yes, I know very well. It's because it's um, made in Italy with Italian actors, but they pretend it's in America in a Western Western setting. That's right, isn't mm. it? Yeah. I was actually listening yesterday to another podcast that was talking about the Trinity movies. So, with Bud Spencer and Terence Hill, are actually got Italian names, but they had wonderful Wild West names. Yeah, it's a genre of its own. I mean, and this is the film that actually made Clint Eastwood a household name. It was the last of the trilogy of the Spaghetti Westerns, but Clint Eastwood would not be a, a household name, I think, if it weren't for this film. You know, even, even in Back to the Future, it was, uh, you know, they, played, they paid a homage to Clint Eastwood's character, the man with no name, in, his, <laughs> um, you know, in that movie. But, you know, it really goes with uh, Al, the character of Al Bundy. Like, you have to be a certain age to appreciate it. And The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly is from 1966, so it falls into play that he would have been in high school when this film came out. A little tidbit of useless information about this film is that when it premiered in Europe, it was actually a much longer film than what was broadcast in the U.S. So I think almost about an hour's worth of film was cut you know, for the theatrical release in the United States and then for what was shown on television for many years. The film was restored in 2002 and they added back the extra, I'm gonna say it was about 50 to 60 minutes. And interestingly, they actually had Clint Eastwood and Ellie Wallach go back into the studio to record their dialogue for the film because the way that the film was done was the Italian and Spanish actors would be speaking in their native language and then they would dub Clint Eastwood and Ellie Wallach and Lee Van Cleef in, in that native language and then do the opposite for the, um, for the European actors when it was broadcast in the U.S. So they never actually had copies of the English dialogue for those deleted scenes. So as, you know, 35 years later, they, they recorded them. Wicked. Nice. Dad, it's Christmas Eve. Shouldn't you be out shooing the homeless or something? <laughs> Bud is trying to get Al to get out of the house because he and Kelly have a jukebox. You won't budge, Kel. What are we going to do? Well, you're the one who wanted to get him a big old jukebox for Christmas. Hey, if a really cool watch had fallen off the truck, I would have gotten him that instead. <laughs> Just hope they like it. Well, they should. It's got all those geezer records on it. It's even got one from way back when Sherry used to sing with her son. <laughs> Has anyone ever received a jukebox for a gift? Uh, not me. There's no room in my house for starters. No, I don't have room for one. I would like one. Like a pinball machine, I'd like one. <laughs> yeah, I think it'd be cool. Yeah. Well, they said, they said it fell off a truck. I mean, what that means is that it was stolen. <laughs> so I don't know how you steal a jukebox or the two of them were to steal a jukebox, but I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> and it's got all those geezer records on it, right? <laughs> yeah, like Show of a Sun. <laughs> <laughs> That's a reference, of course, to Sonny and Cher. That's an interesting piece because Kelly says it's got a record from when Cher used to sing with her son. So at the time, the part of the joke was that she was referring to Cher's son, Elijah Blue Allman. 
But uh, since that time, Cher actually now has two sons. Her daughter, Chastity, became a transgender man, Chaz, as of 2010. So I think if people are watching the, the uh, show today, they may think of Chaz Bono, but actually they're referring to Elijah Allman. Okay, so he was the young guy that was on that video, wasn't he, long time ago on the on the battleship? Yeah, and the yeah. If I could turn back time video. Yeah, yeah. that's it. Yeah. Yeah, he's the yeah. son of Cher and Greg Allman, I think. Yes. Or is it Dwayne? Yeah. Yeah, and, and one of the Allman there's brothers. There's another uh, interesting time capsule of, of American culture there because they talked about how. Uh, Al is watching 40 channels. So back when cable television was introduced in the U.S. Now, from what I understand, you guys didn't get cable television until the mid-90s? Correct. 1995. Yep. Yeah. So the way it was in the United States, uh, in the early 1980s, if you wanted to watch MTV, you actually got a cable box for a single channel. I remember this because... uh, one of my uncles had, I think it was MTV and HBO, and they were two separate cable boxes. And uh, I remember my parents also had gotten a cable box for something called WHT. I think it was called World Home Theater. And this is in the early mid-80s. So by the early 90s, you've got one cable box, and this is the days of analog cable, where maybe you got around 40 stations. And they mentioned these some of these stations on the show, like talk about A&E, I think there was History Channel, etc. And that was true up until the, I'd say the mid-90s, maybe a couple of years after this. And then you went from like 40 stations to about 100 stations. And today you have a few thousand stations and nothing is ever on. And I think that was the joke because even with 40 channels, there was nothing ever on. It sounds like Australian cable as well. Um, on a related note, Luigi, here in Australia, we've typically been quite a bit far behind us in technology. We had no TV at all until the mid-50s, 56, and that was just the two biggest cities. We didn't get colour until 1975, so us here in Australia are known for being quite far behind. So we first watched a lot of shows here in black and white. I mean, I'm not old enough to remember that myself, but... Um, I know my TV, so us poor Australians had no colour until 1975. Mm, yeah, I am old enough to remember that. The old black and white TV. <laughs> so the first, the first colour show I, saw, I remember seeing was Little House on the Prairie. What year would that have been, Steve? That would have been about 75, 76 when we got our first colour TV. Yeah. Because we, we did adopt them pretty quickly here in Australia. Mm. By about 78, most Australians had a colour set. <laughs> oh, this television thing, you know, will never catch on. Nah. nah, why were we not in colour? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to make an assumption here that the Sonny and Cher song Kelly's talking about is probably I Got You Babe. It's probably their most famous song as a duet anyway. Um, so that was released in 65, I think, and it got a lot of prominence in the movie Groundhog Day, which would have been a fairly recent film back then. More films for you. <laughs> Another great classic, and I think it's become, at least for me, even more of a classic during this COVID crisis. (laughs) Every day when I wake up, I actually think of that movie. (laughs) (laughs) Don't blame you. You can't leave it in this freezing garage all night. Well, we can take it upstairs and hide it in one of our rooms. Oh, no problem. Just let me eat some spinach first. (laughs) We'll do it together. We'll just take it up behind Dad. Look, he's watching oil wrestling. He seems to be pretty focused. 
She's down! Her breasts are touching! Her breasts are touching! Bud and Kelly think they can just carry this up to one of their bedrooms, which <laughs> is a bit optimistic, but Bud says, just let me eat meats and spinach first, which is a reference to Popeye. So, yeah, they decide instead to sneak it out behind their parents, which sets up this whole farcical adventure that is taking place behind the sort of realistic play that's going on in front. Peggy comes home and she's been shopping. You, you got a Christmas present for me? Uh, no. But I could go back out again. Do you have any money? Well, I was saving up for a bullet. That can be from me. Is this wrestling? Uh, no, Peg, it's C-SPAN. That's Sandra Day O'Connor and Ruth Bader Ginsburg settling their differences. Of course it's wrestling. <laughs> yeah, I uh, that that joke always tickles my funny bone. Yeah, mine too. Uh, the story behind this, and this is very relevant again for the period of time that this episode is airing. Ruth Bader Ginsburg had joined the Supreme Court the year before, in 1993. So you had two women on the Supreme Court. So Sandra Day O'Connor had been on the Supreme Court, I think, since about like 1981 or 1982. So you had someone who was considered a ultra-conservative with an ultra-liberal. So, I mean, the political joke would be it's like, well, they have to settle their differences. <laughs> you know, and just a touch of sarcasm, the way Ed O'Neill delivers that line. I mean, I, I think I just bust out laughing every time I hear it. <laughs> O'Connor has retired from the court. And, of course, Ruth Bader Ginsburg has just recently passed away. It's a wonderful lie. Hey, I hate this movie. How can you hate It's a Wonderful Life? Because it's a horrible life. <laughs> you know the reason they never made a sequel? Because when the guy came back, he killed himself. <laughs> and this time he took that angel with him. This must be written by a woman. This stinks, it bites, it blows. <laughs> so, Luigi, what do you think of Al's reason why they never made a sequel to It's a Wonderful Life? There's actually, a, I think, a backstory to this as well. There was a very famous parody of It's a Wonderful Life on Saturday Night Live. And uh, it was known as the lost ending. In other words, in instead of, like, what, one of the things that's unresolved in the film is what happens to Mr. Potter with the $8,000. The parody stars Dana Carvey, John Lovitz, and Phil Hartman, who plays Uncle Billy. Uh, you guys should check that out. You could find it on YouTube, but it, it's very funny. It's like, what happens if George Bailey found out it was Mr. Potter had stolen the money? So him, him and everyone who's at the house, like <laughs> they go and they effectively beat up Mr. Potter, a, a man in a wheelchair, right? It's, uh, it's funny yet disturbing. In the bank. I had it in a newspaper. I remember giving it to someone. Well, who, who, who'd you give it to? No, wait. Now, I just called Clarence at the bank. He told me that old man Potter deposited exactly $8,000 right after I left. It was him! Well, what are we waiting for? Let's go get it. <laughs>
enough trouble already. You made one mistake, Mr. Potter. You double-crossed me and you left me alive. Now, wait just a second. I'll give you the money back. I don't want the money. I want a piece of you, Potter. Well, Al thought it must have been written by a woman, but um, <laughs> it's not because the movie was based on the short story. The Greatest Gift, which Philip Van Doren Stern wrote in 1939 and published privately in 1943. So he was not a woman. Sorry, Al. I mean, one thing I've noticed here is that Al has obviously forgotten his own experiences from four Christmases ago when he wished he was never born. So thinking, Al, surely you should remember the time you lived that film and be a bit more sympathetic towards it? Yeah, he even references an angel. <laughs> yeah, and you know, here's another another uh, piece of useless information for you, Annabelle, which I know you'll appreciate. In the in the episode when the kids buy the car together, yes, no chicken, no check. Al is when he's eating the chicken at the end, and he's sitting down. He's singing a song, "Buffalo Wings, Won't You Come Out Tonight." Yep. So that's a, a parody of Buffalo Gals, which is one of the songs that is featured prominently in that film. Buffalo girls, can't you come out tonight? Can't you come out tonight? Can't you come out tonight? Buffalo girls, can't you come out tonight? And dance by the light of the moon. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, it's been so long since I've seen it, I wouldn't have made that connection well since we've entered the christmas season i, I would recommend everyone uh, take a sit down for the two and a half hours and watch that film might just have to yeah same here honey how come you never wrestle with me because either i end up on top of you or you end up on top of me and either way i lose <laughs> what your head and I'll be back out the door with this thing. Your stocking's gonna be as empty as your bed, young man. Yeah, so they try to sneak in the jukebox and, you know, I'm impressed they could do that so quietly without their parents noticing. I did notice that the the jukebox has got Rockola on and I looked that up. Did anybody else look that up? Rockola, what it actually was? Oh, it's it's either a real brand or... It's a real brand. It started in 1927. So I thought it was just a fake brand. I didn't think, oh, of course, with um, advertising, et cetera, et cetera, they wouldn't be able to use a real brand. But I just looked it up the other day and found it actually was quite a famous uh, brand. So very interesting. In 1927, they started making them. Oh, wicked. Okay. I knew it was a real brand. I, I remember looking it up uh, years ago. But maybe it's like It's a Wonderful Life. It's out of copyright and they can use it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and uh, did you guys check out the poster in Bud's room? Yes. yes. Oh, remind me, because I, I, I did think about it. The Ice Cube poster? That's it, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's the cover of Ice Cube's album, Death Certificate. Yep, that's right. Because, you know, Bud's into rap. Well, I, I assume it's, you know, the influence of David Faustino being a huge rap fan, but he has Ice Cube's poster in his room. But I didn't see the poster next to it that was behind them. So if anyone's got recognisable abilities, can recognise an eighth of a poster of some picture, let us know, because I'll be interested to know what that was. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, and Annabelle, correct me if I'm wrong, I think I might have heard the story from you or from someone. It might have been Alex. Yeah, the Ice Cube ended up like seeing that poster on uh, 
on the show. And I think he became friends with David Faustino as a result of that. Yeah, I'm not sure if it was a, a res- direct result of that. It could have been. I'm not entirely sure. But they did become friends because NWA then played at Faustino's club that he opened. So they, they, they were friends and they sort of stayed friends. Presumably they still are. I don't know. But that album was released in late 91. So October the 29th. I was, I was merely six months old. Oh. Uh, did you know how to change your own diaper? <laughs> oh, I'm not the smartest bud, sadly. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I was always a smart cookie, Luigi, but um, I was never that that clever. Back then, I was I'm just too close to the TV set in general. <laughs> <laughs> There's a famous picture of David Faustino in Easy E when he was alive, obviously, out there that gets um, circulated around the interwebs every now and again. But uh, I don't think I have one with Faustino and Ice Cube. Hmm. What is it? You look over, you see a smile on my face, you say, I can't have this. (laughs) No, Al, I just thought it would be nice if we could enjoy something together. We tried that on our honeymoon, Peg. Remember how we cried? (laughs) Just change the channel. Oh, now, now there you go. You're going too fast. Come on, Al. What was that? What was that? What was that? A bewitched with Dick York, not Dick Sargent as Darren. A Gilligan where the gorilla came to the island. A Full House family Christmas story where there was snowed in at the airport. And a study of the mating habits of the Amazonian catfish with Philippe, not Jacques Cousteau. All the things he say are genuine episodes or genuine things. So he mentions a bewitched with Dick York instead of Dick Sargent. That's obvious. Everyone knows there were two Darrens on Bewitched. Dick York was then replaced by Dick Sargent. Mm. There's a, a Gilligan's Island when the gorilla came to the island. There's actually, I looked it up. There's actually three episodes, from what I can tell, where a gorilla came to Gilligan's Island. And he mentions a full house family Christmas when they yep. were snowed in the airport. And that, if anyone cares, is a full house episode called Our Very First Christmas Show, which is their Christmas episode in season two. And he also talks about Philippe, not Jacques Cousteau, and Philippe was Jacques Cousteau's son. And he rattles that off so faultlessly. Yeah, He does, and I was very impressed, and, you know, it pleases the audience too. <laughs> now, you know, what I, what I think is funny uh, about Gilligan's Island in particular is that, you know, this is the one show that's probably mentioned more than a dozen times over the course of the entire series. Mm. And... Yeah, I, I think that at least for American pop culture, I don't know how it was in Australia, but you know, this is like one of those things, almost like it's a wonderful life. If I, I think it's still under, or maybe there's some kind of different royalty thing, but I mean, you can probably flip through like the thousand cable stations that we have now, nowadays, and you could see Gilligan's Island playing at, you know, at least two of them at any one point in time. It's become so ingrained in our culture, I think, you know, people always talk about Gilligan's Island because I feel like even even someone who's 10 years old has probably seen Gilligan's Island. It was massive back in the day. I actually remember watching it in black and white. But it used to be really huge. And there was this whole string of those American comedies that were big, like, like Bewitched, like your I Dream a Genie, like your Beverly Hillbillies. And a lot of those you can still see now, but I don't think I've seen Gilligan's Island for, for some time. I don't know if it's been... It hasn't been on on syndication or on Fox Fox for sure. I haven't seen it for a long, long time. No, I don't think it's been on for a while. Again, when we got mm. cable TV, there was a channel called TV One that 
uh, played a lot of the old 60s sitcoms, but Gilligan's Island, mm. for some reason, didn't get as much airplay uh, mm. for whatever reason. But certainly it's well known. I mean, yeah. it's, it's one of those shows that can be easily parodied, easily made fun of. But again, if it was on TV, one of these days I might watch it again. <laughs> Yeah, and like I said, Gilligan's Island back in the day played on a lot of those independent stations. Mm. You know, so if I'm I'm from the New York City area, so uh, that would have been like what today is like Channel Nine, which is I think UPN. Back then, it was a again like an independent station, so they would just look for content, either free content, like a like a, a channel like Channel Nine in New York City area would play It's a Wonderful Life because it was free content for them. And it would be like one of those stations or Channel 11, which is PIX, and just keep playing it over and over again. And if I remember correctly, I think nine is what played Gilligan's Island, again, as an independent. Hmm. It was still on pretty frequently here in Australia in the 90s and 2000s. I do remember seeing bits of it when I was young, but um, couldn't really get into it. I'd probably like it more if I saw it now, um, knowing, knowing, knowing me. But a lot of my generation born in the 90s have heard of it. Yeah. You can see all that, and yet you can't see the rim around the toilet. I see what I want to see, Peg. It's me! And I don't want to see that. Is Marcy having a Christmas party? But she borrows some ice anyway. And do you remember the days where you had to defrost your freezer? Oh, no, oh, I remember that. Uh, the Bundys have no shortage of ice. So chisel, chisel, chisel. Uh, uh, uh. I can see where that's actually coming from, because I actually out the back in the garage have an old freezer, and it's one that was made in the 70s, and it, great stuff still keeps run, on running. The only thing about it is that once every two months, you've got to take everything out of it and get rid of it and chip out all the ice that's in it. <laughs> so I see where they're coming from in terms of the ice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Marcy, are you having a Christmas party this year? Nope, sorry. Uh, by the way, can I borrow some ice? <laughs> sure, help yourself. You know, it's a damn shame you're not having that Christmas party. I had a good time with that last one. Remember I got 95 cocktail winnies in my mouth? <laughs> yeah, that was real funny, Al. <laughs> yeah, Marcy breaks off a chunk of ice, and Al seems to believe it that she's not having a party, which... I don't, I, don't, I don't know if, um, if I entirely buy that, but <laughs> I mean, it's Al that dim. <laughs> yeah, it, seemed, it definitely seems out of character for Al. Mm. I mean, like, he's dumb on certain things, but he's quick-witted on others. But this one seems a little out of character for him. Just a smidgen. I mean, Al, poor Al, he just misses stuffing his face with cocktail weenies and twirling dwarf jokes. So no wonder he's missing um, Marcy's party. No wonder he wants to know if there's one on this year. I mean, can't you hear the music, Al? <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. It is Christmas music. And someone then says, what a great blowout. And he still can't get it. <laughs> hey, Marcy, great blowout! <laughs> Damn shame about that party. Yeah, you know, I have a question. I mean, like, uh, this is mentioned a few times. Like, Matt, you just mentioned dwarfs. So, I mean, have you guys ever heard of midget tossing? Yes. 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 It was very big here in the 80s or 90s, I think, wasn't it? Something like that. Sounds about right. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I have a quick story. 
I had a friend of mine who got married in Spain, and this is in the early 2000s. I think it was around 2004. So uh, the day before I fly out, I get a call from his cousin, who was his best man, telling me, it's like, oh, you know, we're going to have a bachelor party when you arrive, and it's been canceled so we're moving it to like another city. So it'll be the next night. I'm like, okay. He's like, well, what did you have planned? It's like, oh, we we're going to go midget tossing. I'm like, excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> so it was like, yeah, you know, like sort of like the, the you know, this, and this dwarf wears a harness and then we pick him up and we fling him around. And I'm like, well, are they female dwarves? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I was like, what's the point? <laughs> It actually started in Australia in the early 80s. I just looked it up. In a popular pub entertainment form. Uh, by the time I was old enough to go to the pub, it had basically fallen out of favour. I think I think you have a few isolated cases, but it's long fallen out of favour. By the time I was old enough, it wasn't a thing. And I was never at risk for um, being tossed myself. I was about five foot eight when I was 13. <laughs> <laughs> no, it had its day. I definitely remember it being a big thing at the time for what, Long period, however long the period was, I can't remember, but I definitely remember the publicity about it. Wow. Uh, we led some sheltered lives, huh, Annabelle? <laughs> it seems so. <laughs> well, what would they call it these days? They wouldn't be able to call it dwarf, or well, maybe dwarf, but not so much midget tossing or anything like that. Different time. Uh, little people, right? Yeah, little people tossing. <laughs> there, there, was, uh, there was a show like Little People, Big World. Yes. Yeah. That was on a cable station in America, wasn't it? Yep. Yep. Well, now the television and the Bundy house is talking about PBS. This is PBS. And if you want more bad English television that your friends will insist is better than bad American television, please send your pledges in either cash check or canned food to... Uh, <laughs> what, Al? Just out of curiosity, why are we watching this? Well, you know, I... Turn it! <laughs> Matt, you're the closest thing to an English person here. Do you like that joke? Do you, what do you think about bad English television? What do you think a bad English show that they would get would be? Well, I'm just trying to think. Um, well, I mean, I've seen a fair fair few British shows. Uh, well, one really bad one that comes to mind would be the um, awful um, attempt at making a sitcom out of Hitler, namely Heil Honey, I'm Home from 1990. <sighs> Yes, that was horrible. <laughs> I, I have seen that on YouTube. It's terrible. I tried watching it. I was thinking, no. Uh, so if I was American, I would not want to send my cash, check, or canned food to PBS for that. But um, for the, those of you, um, especially in the US, uh, there is a lot of good British shows. Indeed, a lot of people think I'm British myself, and I do quite like their humor as well. One I'll quickly recommend is Dad's Army, which is my second favorite show after Married of Children, and was also the result of a, a really bad US remake called The Rear Guard in 1976. Thankfully, it, they didn't make a series out of it. So, I, so there's a little bit of a story, too, to PBS I can uh, tell you about. So PBS was started, uh, I think it was in the late 60s, and it was a public-private partnership. So most of our... So our television in the U.S. is all private. So there's companies that do their broadcasting. I know in Europe, for example, a lot of times the the stations, like in Italy, it's RAI, RAI, there's BBC in the U.K. Like you pay a tax, I know, for your television, for like each television that you have. I know if you live in the U.K. And it's paid for by tax dollars. So the point of PBS was to try to provide educational television. So Sesame Street is their flagship show on, that's made by PBS. So 
if you watched PBS, like let's say during prime time, usually what they'd be playing is something like Benny Hill. <laughs> so wasn't Luigi? Yeah. What wasn't wasn't PBS the the station that uh, got Monty Python started in in US? Yes. So so what yes. so what PBS mm-hmm. would do is they would be buying shows, usually English language shows, and it would come from England because they were cheap. You know, since the British would give it to this PBS station because it wouldn't cost them anything to broadcast. And the way that PBS makes its money is by what they call pledge drives. And there's a pledge drive about once a month. So anytime you watch a show, they're saying it's like, oh, you know, please donate or please give to your local PBS affiliate. So within major cities in the U.S. And it's usually Channel 13. And the reason why it's Channel 13 is because on the VHF band, your stations would begin at channels 2 through 13. Beginning at channel 14 through like 60-something, that would be the UHF band. Now, again, you have to be of a certain age to remember this because all of that is sort of out the window nowadays. So if you wanted to watch, for example, a Spanish-language station that would be in the UHF band, which would be above 13. Like in the New York area, again, it would be like 41 or 47, etc. And it was talked a little bit about in that episode when Kelly's on... The Weather Girl. Uh, what, what, yes. Which one was that, Annabelle? Mm-hmm. Rain Girl in season four. Yeah, Rain Girl. Yeah, that's correct. So, so they did talk about it. Now, interestingly, uh, the college I attended, so university, as you guys would probably say in, the, in Australia, uh, the president of my college at one point was president of PBS. So uh, he used to do the pledge drives. They would have like a few of these. And you'd get up and it'd be like this multi multi-hour event they'd they'd show something that would be considered high quality like a high quality show and it's like if you want to see more high quality programming like this (laughs) please donate it's like and you can pledge five dollars a month and but that but again to the to us americans we would equate pbs with british television and that's how like americans know about people like benny hill monty python and all that because that would never really broadcast on cbs nbc Fox today or any or any of that stuff. Here's a little bit of trivia then for you because we have the same setup. We did have the same setup in Australia where we had the VHF channels and the UHF channels. Now, curiously, in Australia, the VHF channels went from zero to twelve A. They didn't have a thirteen. Okay, interesting. <laughs> yeah, they wouldn't do a thirteen. Yeah, and and Annabelle PBS was famously mentioned on um, Married with Children very early in its run. Yes, and in back in season one, episode. Two in synergy. Uh, Steve asks what channel PBS is on while Al is watching Patsy, Portrait of a Stewardess in Training. But obviously Al's not watching PBS, but Steve's using PBS as a code for the for the smutty channel. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah, which probably would have been a UHF channel. Yeah. But uh, but the but the reality is this. I mean, in American television, that would have ne- that would have had to have been on cable. It would have never been broadcast on something over the air. So it was I think their own joke, but Al did not have cable. I think, you know, in in a later season, I think in season 3 or something or or maybe 2. If you remember when Al wants to go watch Spectrovision to see the fight. Oh yeah, that's later in season 1. Yeah. Right. That would have been a cable yeah, you know, that's something that would have been shown on cable, which they didn't have yet. Yeah, they had to go to a motel to watch it. That's right. Uh, speaking of watching TV, Peg tells Al to change the channel again, and another American show, I Love Lucy. You mean I Hate Lucy? 
<laughs> yes. There. I love Lucy. Well, I hate Lucy. <laughs> the real star was Fred. They should have killed off Ethel and Lucy and that illegal alien. They should have made Fred a single guy and called it Mertz's World. But if you want to watch that... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was Ricky Ricardo, wasn't he, or something like that? He was. Ricky Ricardo's uh, real life Desi Arnaz. Yeah, and I actually unashamedly like I Love Lucy very much. I think because <laughs> I like TV history and things like that, it's a very good show to watch from back then. Desi Arnaz invented the television rerun, so he should be held in high regard, I think. But. Um, from what I can tell in my uh, limited research on the topic, he was um, he was a naturalized citizen by that point. He was he had been in the American Army by then. So, it, but it was a joke around the time that he was the illegal alien because he was Cuban. But he actually was a naturalized citizen by then. But the bigger joke there is um, Fred Mertz is very much like Al. He's a he's sort of like an early Al Bundy type. So I don't know how familiar you are with I Love Lucy, but if you go back and watch it and see all the husband and wife jokes between Fred and Ethel, it's it's very funny. And yeah, Fred Mertz is like the old curmudgeonly next door neighbor, and he's he is quite owl-like. He sort of doesn't like his wife, but he still loves her. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, in real life, the actor William Frawley like really hated uh, uh, Vivian Vance, yeah. who played uh, Ethel. Uh, supposedly, she toasted his death. I, I, yeah, I've read that. She she cracked the bottle of champagne upon hearing that he passed away. Uh. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and Annabelle, that's, that's a great tidbit. I mean, interestingly, for the uh, when we're talking about reruns of old shows, from the 1950s, we really only have uh, I Love Lucy and the Honeymooners. Yeah. And the reason why was both of those TV shows were shot on film. Many time in the 1950s, they would create something which was called a kinescope. Yes. So a kinescope would be that they would actually point a camera to a television screen because, you know, as it was live television. So what they would do is as you were cutting from camera to camera, they would actually, you wouldn't know like what the correct angles were. So they would point a, another camera on a television screen just to see like what would, what had been broadcast. So Desi Arnaz and Jackie Gleason, they had those shows shot on film. So even though they were broadcasting, they would create a kinescope. And then later on in editing, they would take the film versions and make a very high quality cut of the of the, each episode. Mm. So that's why they've survived. And that's why they're such high quality. Because if you ever watch, when, if they ever rebroadcast a kinescope, like I'm a fan of the Honeymooners. And there's a whole series of Honeymooners episodes, which are called the Lost Episodes. I mean, to a, a Honeymooners fan is familiar with what, what are called the Classic 39 episodes. I mean, in the New York City area, they've been playing every night at 11 on Channel 11, probably for 50 years at this point. <laughs> it's like a staple and you have like one of these 39, but there are probably, I think, well over 100 of uh, what are called the Lost Episodes, which were episodes that had aired in earlier incarnations, as early as like the 1952 or 51, all the way till um, the early 60s. And at one point, there was even what they were called the Color Honeymooners. So these skits that continued, not with the original four, but with just uh, Gleason and Art Carney. But in terms of like classic television of the 50s, those are the only two shows that really survive. And it's because of 
the foresight. I think Desi Arnaz deserves a lot of credit for that in particular. Yes, agreed. Agreed. Because on a side note, sadly, in the UK and Australia, there was a tradition called wiping that lasted until the early to mid-70s, where when videotape was expensive, um, in particular the BBC and the Australian version, the ABC, would wipe programs to reuse the tape. So pretty much sacrilege today. So a lot of British and Australian shows of the 60s and early 70s are missing or, or were missing for years. Think the Auntie Jack show, a lot of Doctor Who, a few Dad's Armies, the origi- original version of Archie Bunker, basically um, wiped, unless the creators made copies of them. Like the original British version of Stanford and Son, Steptoe and Son, is basically the only British sitcom of the 60s or 70s to fully survive because the creators made their own copies. Hmm. Yeah. That's exactly right. I've actually got that Steptoe and Son, and I do, uh, that, you're right. That's the only one I've got where every single episode still exists. Yeah, and that also happened again in the U.S., uh, although it happened for an earlier period of time. So uh, a lot of television, I'm going to say, maybe like pre like 1965, probably it was also wiped, uh, wiped or destroyed. But uh, you know, maybe a little earlier. But I think all television from the 60s has been has survived. But from the 50s era, the only thing that's really complete and in good quality are those two that I mentioned. I'm loving this TV history stuff, guys. It's fantastic. Well, just want to do my little bit with the Australian and also um, British side of things. All right, Ken, now look, this is what we're going to do. You're going to tie this rope around the jukebox. I'm going to go upstairs, and when you're ready, I'll pull it up. Okay. We wouldn't be having this problem if we had just used a seesaw. (laughs) And I wouldn't be having this problem if Dad had used a condom. I just tied it. We haven't seen the... The backyard in a, in a short while, I think. No. Yeah, and we get some um, good upstairs angles of Bud's room that we'll see in a moment. But they wouldn't be having this problem if they just used a seesaw. Yeah. And Bud's line was great. He's like, we wouldn't be having this problem if Dad used a condom. Yes. <laughs> Very Warner Brothers. <laughs> well, well, we have a little bit of continuity here. We have a continuity issue, right, Annabelle? Yeah. <laughs> According to this, I mean, Bud's saying it about Kelly. Now, we find out that actually Al's condom broke. Yes. Yeah, that was on the night he scored his four touchdowns. But So it depends on how old you think Kelly is, if she was born in 66 or if she was born in 72. And just a second, Bud, um, when you made that condom comment, um, you could have easily wiped yourself out of existence because of obviously if um, Kelly was never around, then they, they may not have had you, Bud. Could have easily wiped myself out there, Bud. Bud Drick. Can you imagine Bud as an only child? Oh, hmm. We did better or worse off? I don't know. Uh, not with those two parents. <laughs> no. <laughs> but if that was the case and there was only a Bud, they would have brought in seven sooner. Oh! <laughs> Curse you. Speaking of gross, what's that? Is that Michael Bolton screaming Silent Night? Oh, my ears, my ears. <laughs> Personally, I prefer Taylor Swift's version of that song, which is on a 2007 Christmas EP, so she does it much better than Michael Bolton. I'll take your word for it. Well, the end credits actually say it's sung by someone called Rick Rizzo, or Rizzo. Mm. So it's not Michael Bolton, but it's someone doing a very good simile. Yeah, I mean, either they, didn't pay, they want to pay for the music or they didn't want to subject themselves to having to listen to it. <laughs> That's my uh, thought. Uh, uh, yeah, and uh, Al has uh, insulted Bolton a few times. 
over the course of the series, right? So this is another one we can chalk up. He has, yeah. Yes, we've talked about him uh, earlier this season in Take My Wife, Please. Matt and I discussed him a little bit, but he was referenced in, in Season 7 in the old insurance dodge and this episode, of course, and he will be mentioned again in Season 9 and Season 10. So he is a favourite. Yeah. Although, you know, I didn't like the little dig at uh, bald people because he says, what's his next number going to be? Hark the hairy angels sing. So, I think, <laughs> you know, Matt, I, I, I took offence for both of us on that one. <laughs> It's all good. Um, I don't mind having lost my hair. Um, in a few more years, I'll be um, pretty much like Al. Well, I am pretty much now, actually. <laughs> You'll be like Al and be bald when you're 20. I'm <laughs> <laughs> 30, so I, no wonder I suit dressing up like him. I started losing my hair, actually, believe it or not, is uh, when I was 16. No way. So it's been a very it's been a very slow progression, but a few years ago I just decided to go the Mr. Clean look. Good on you. I started losing mine at nineteen. And I started going grey at thirteen. <laughs> I started going. I started growing grey at forty, but it's just got thicker and thicker. So I always say, well, at least I've still got my hair, even though it's very grey. <laughs> I got my first grey hair last year, so I'm not looking forward to that. Well, don't Ooh. complain if you got it, Steve. Speaking of hair, Jefferson comes in. Do you mind if we just borrow the rest of these chairs? No, sure, buddy. No Christmas party this year, huh? I'm afraid not. Say, can we take the table? Sure. Any beer? Yeah. Gonna have sex with the wife tonight, huh? <laughs> well, you'll need a couple of six-packs then. You want a bag? <laughs> no, I'll, I'll just carry it. No, I meant a bag for your wife. <laughs> No, no thanks. So what are you going to do? Are you just going to stay home? Yeah, yeah, just uh, me and the little lady and your chairs and table and stuff. See ya! <laughs> you know, Peg, if I didn't know any better, I'd swear they were having a party. <laughs> and he's got a few uh, mates with him, but I didn't spot anybody familiar looking, but they've got, all got some festive jumpers on. And didn't it look like they actually had food in the refrigerator? It's like like one of the guys. He sort of goes back there. He sort of and like he sort of opens it up, and it looks like there's stuff in there. I'm like, wow, that's very out of character. Yeah. <laughs> the interesting thing, the interesting thing I thought of is when do you ever see Al with more than two six packs in the fridge? If that. <laughs> very true. Mm. <laughs> There's usually one solo beer, solo beer in there. Yeah, I mean, and again, it would be it would be Budweiser or Girly Girl beer. Sure but I'm really enjoying this VB, guys. Uh, you guys are very hospitable here in Australia. I appreciate it. V oh, good. VB stands for the very best. How does it happen? You're down in a mine, or painting a sign, or strain until you thought you'd burst. You sure got a thirst. A hard-earned thirst needs a big cold beer, and the best cold beer is big. You're leaving the band, lending a hand. You can get it any old how. Matter of fact, I got it now. A hard-earned thirst needs a big cold beer. And the best cold beer is big, big bitter. <laughs> hey, Alex, if you're listening, take note, please. <laughs> Gonna have sex with the wife tonight, eh? You better get a bag. <laughs> <laughs> so they take the chairs, well, the rest of the chairs and the table. <laughs> and Al is still oblivious. I think when the table went out the door, I started to say, well, Al, come on, mate. <laughs> They just bore your dining room set. What is wrong with you, Al? 
Maybe that's maybe he thanks Marcy and Jefferson having some really kinky sex. <laughs> Did you tie the rope around the jukebox? Yep. Okay, now toss it to me. The jukebox? <laughs> the rope, you lug nut. <laughs> so Bart and Kelly are outside. And there's one of those awkward jokes, you know, you, now toss it to me. The jukebox? No, the rope. <laughs> but you, you still laugh anyway. Uh, that's like an Abbott and Costello type joke or a Laurel and Hardy kind of joke, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Steve, you said uh, Warner Brothers before, and mm. it reminded me of an interview I'll talk about in a sec with Amanda Burst. She actually likened it to a Roadrunner cartoon with Bud. So all, all the things that he gets up to. So, yeah, it's very cartoonish. Mm. <laughs> Why did you pull on the rope that way? <laughs> Because I wanted to make sure that it was tight on your end, too. So we hear bells again. But this time, it's Psycho Dad. Who's that riding in the sleigh? Who's that firing along the way? Episode of Psycho Dad. Oh, not again. Peg, it's a classic. This is the one where you get to know how he got the eight reindeer heads on the walls of his cabin. Yes, the Christmas special. Who's that riding in the sleigh? <laughs> I wasn't sure about the third line of this lyric because I've heard. No. Two I was thinking the same thing things. when I was when I was watching it the other day. I was thinking oh, there's a bit of laughing and it covers over what that third line is. What did you hear it as? Oh, if anything. I, I, yeah, I can't remember now if anybody can enlighten me. Well, what I've seen on the internet is who's got the most popped on Christmas Day, which I got that from somewhere and I put it in my script because I, it, it wasn't very clear, as you say. Uh, Luigi, you thought it was something else. I did? Yeah. Who's roughing up bums, uh, who's roughing up bums on Christmas Day? Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> <laughs> also applicable? I don't know. Any works. You can make up your own third lyric. How's that? But it's got to rhyme with sleigh way. Uh, it makes you wonder, like, uh, if they Fox didn't have an idea for another show called Psycho Dad. Like, this actually probably would have been a great show. <laughs> exactly. I would have watched it. Yeah, I could have seen it as a spinoff. And coincidentally, the Married with Children comic book series, there is an issue called Psycho Dad, uh, which I did read. And... Um, I guess, you know, they borrowed, obviously, from the TV show, and they have their own storyline. I mean, and if anyone out there has one, any of these Married with Children comic books, it's a great alternate fiction. So they even mention it. It's like it's not – they don't try to base the the issues on the TV show itself besides using the characters, so they're all new storylines. So maybe something for your Christmas stocking this year. Ooh. Hmm. And we'll, we'll find out a lot more about Sucker Dad – in, a, in exactly a season time. So right after that, Peg says, I'm not watching Psycho Dad. And she's going to turn the channel. And Al says, well, I'm going to the bathroom. Now he gets up, he looks dead into the camera and talks to us. And I really hate this commercial. So he breaks the fourth wall. He does. What do you guys think about that? About that? Mm, that's, the, I, that's the only one time I can think of that happening. Can, is there anything else? Any other? 
Well, there's been a few looks to camera before, and there, mm. there is even one in this episode. Yes. And there's been one in season seven, and Alan LaRox, you know, he reacts, he turns to the camera, but to actually address us like that is, I think it's the first time. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I wasn't a fan of that. Still not a fan of that. I mean, it's not my absolute favourite um, for full breaking. I still liked it, but it's not up there with, say, whenever Mr. Roper would do it on Three's Company and his um, looks, because when he broke that wall on that show back in the late 70s, he didn't really say anything. He just um, grinned and smiled when he dissed his wife. <laughs> right. And I, usually that's what we would see. I mean, even when Al looks at the camera, it, you just really sh- he's showing us his reaction. But addressing us, I, I, I have a problem with that. Yeah, I, I, I don't love it, but I, I, I don't feel too strongly about it. It does take away from what's already been happening for him to break the fourth wall like that, but I don't mind it as a commercial cut to. It might be a different context, I suppose, if you actually saw the commercial come straight out after it. So yeah. on DVDs, we don't see the ads, so it might have a different effect. Yeah, and I'm trying to remember. Now, uh, at least for myself, I watched the show in its first run, so... I was every time I see that now when he says I really hate this commercial, I try to think back. It's like what would that commercial have been on the first run? Like in other words, was it a Budweiser commercial? Was it like a Coca-Cola commercial? So I'm I'm not sure. I mean, I think I think you would be laughing hmm. because I think you know, like if if you're a fan of the show and you're sitting there on a Sunday night watching the show at its first run, it's like I really hate this commercial. Then it'd be like, okay, well, what's the commercial? Let's say it was like a Budweiser commercial. It's like, oh, like I want to watch this commercial because Al says he hates it. If it was a, a commercial for a feminine hygiene product, that'd be even funnier. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I can't remember feminine hygiene products being advertised with married with children. I'd say like it had to have been something like manly. It was probably like beer or like a burger place or something like that. Or a car. Yeah, Burger King or Macca's. That's McDonald's. It's time for no man to take a little break in the Jiggly Room. I'm the DJ, and I'm going to play a little bit of music that was on this week's episode of Marry With Children. So that commercial break is the only break in this episode, you notice, because other than that, it almost plays like a real-time show. So we don't know how much time has passed in between these two acts, but enough time for Peg to suddenly wear a party hat. (laughs) Say, Peg, (laughs) did you have that hat on before I went to the bathroom? (laughs) Ah. Why, yes. Yes, I did. You know, Al Bundy, you never look at me. Ah, yes, I do. (laughs) 
Yeah, I, I remember it now. <laughs> so it's still the same night. Is there, I was just going to say, it's still the same evening because um, Alice is still whining about the Darcy's party and as he mentioned, um, he's disgusted at Peggy's Christmas hat. Yes, because he went to the bathroom. That could take, you know, God knows how long. Yeah, and what uh, Peg is doing to Al is called gaslighting. Hmm. Have you got? You guys ever heard this term before? Uh, I've seen the yes. film Gaslight. Yes, with there we go. So you want to tell us more about that? Oh, well, you can. But yeah, well, I've seen the film with Angela Lansbury. But basically, I can't remember the plot exactly. But they make her believe that something happened. They make her believe it didn't happen. So you're getting it. That's what Peg's doing to Al. Exactly. Quite well. Oh yeah. Uh, there were a few versions of Gaslight. There was a play from 1938, and then there was a, a British film Gaslight. Um, what from 1940, and then there was a 1944 version with Angela Lansbury. Yeah. So the plot, it's a couple, and the husband, I believe, he continues to like drive the wife crazy or mad, as you guys would say, I think in Australia, <laughs> by uh, trying to convince her that things that didn't happen happened. In therapy, like uh, a lot of times, they talk about. You know, someone trying to gaslight you. It's like saying, it's like, oh, well, I, this happened to me the other day. Like somebody had asked me a question and I said, well, gaslighting's like you come in and you put like a bottle of uh, beer on the table and you start saying to the person, it's like, oh, where'd that bottle of beer come from? It's like, oh, I didn't bring it in. It's like, <laughs> it's been there. It's like, I, I never touched it. It's like, in other words, you're, you're trying to convince somebody else of that. Uh, so I think they're playing it to comedic effect here. Yeah. And you notice when Al comes downstairs that he sits on the other side of Peg. Uh, they've switched places to where they were before the commercial break. And because I went to drama school and I did directing for like half a term, if that. But I was told that if you have two people in one scene for a long time, at some point, generally about halfway through, at least halfway through, if not further on, you're going to have to get them to switch sides at some point. So that is something the directors do. If you've got two people, they're going to have to switch sides at some point so it doesn't get too monotonous, I suppose. Yeah, that's why Al comes and sits down on the other side of Peg this time. Interesting. So yeah, she's not wearing a party hat. What are you thinking? You never look at me. Says yes, I do, but and <laughs> he sort of does because he did look at her literally in the episode prior to this, in just a little <laughs> off the top. Yeah, and I, uh, I reviewed that with uh, Chris Gunther. Ooh, the Christian Shopping Network. Have your next supper on our last supper plates. <laughs> Service for thirteen, only forty nine ninety five. This is one of my favourite jokes. Service for thirteen. <laughs> All of this, like the uh, Christian Shopping Network, they mentioned BET for Malcolm Xmas. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, and these are all spoofs on real t- TV channels that are still around. Yeah. So, you know, Home Shopping Network, you know, BET is Black Entertainment Television, is I think the original name for it. Now it's, I think, the Black Entertainment Channel, but it's still referred to as BET. Yeah, there's a, a whole slew of these channels, all these jokes. They're all fantastic jokes. And one of them is NBC. For those of you who missed the first 53 airings, NBC is proud to present Cheers, the final episode. <laughs> what does Cheers have to do with Christmas? What does NBC have to do with television? <laughs> Change it. <laughs> the 53rd airing thereof. Yeah, Matt, what does Cheers have to do with Christmas? 
Oh, let's see. Cheers had a great Christmas episode. It ended in 1993. So, it, the finale was not a Christmas episode, but there was a classic Christmas ep- episode from about season five, I think. They also did a great Thanksgiving episode. And mm. if you haven't seen Cheers, um, you've been living under a rock. It had 11 seasons like Married to Children. It's my fourth favourite show of all time. Fight me on that. And, yes, just uh, highly, recomm- highly recommended. Uh, I-, I believe the Christmas one ends up with a bit of a bar fight or a fight at one of their houses. Can't remember exactly, though. Oh, that's a classic Thanksgiving episode where they have a food fight. Is that the one you're thinking of? At Carla's. Yes, yes. That's the one at Carla's house. Yeah, that's classic. And, yeah, I like Cheers, too. But when it ended, NBC did repeat it a few times, which is the joke there. But because it was such a a huge, successful finale and about, you know, over 40 million people watched it, I think... Well, it first aired, the finale, on May 20th in 1993, and then it re-ran on May 23rd, and then again on August 19th. So by the time they get up to filming this, it's like, oh, yes, how many more times are they going to show Cheers, the final episode? Um, I mean, and it's considered the second highest rated series finale behind MASH. Mm. I, and I remember both of them. I remember sort of watching MASH when I was a kid. I was a big TV nut, so I watched a lot of quote-unquote adult television uh, just because you didn't have, you know, cartoons playing 24 hours a day like you do, you have nowadays. <laughs> you know, I have two young kids, and it's like now you can watch whatever you want on TV. You can have an iPad or an iPhone. Whatever you want is available to you. But back then, unless it was like a Saturday morning or a certain time of the day, could you actually watch kids programming? So as a child, I'm watching adult programming, stuff like MASH, and I remember that the series finale, I guess I was about five years old, uh, watching MASH, and then I remember watching Cheers. And I wasn't like a, a huge fan, but I mean, it was on TV that like I would watch it, I guess, for the comedy. But, you know, by 1993, I was, I mean, Married with Children was my, my one and only favorite. So I tried to watch as much as, it, as I could. And at that point in time, also, Married with Children was in reruns. Mm. I'm going to say... For us in the U.S., it was in syndication, I believe, around by the end of the sixth season. Uh, yeah, it started in '91. After season five. Okay, so after season five, yes, yeah, so that, that makes sense. So I think just as I was finishing grade school and I was entering high school, that it was on every day. I think like they aired it twice a day. There would be maybe like a five and five and a five thirty viewing. And then obviously the new episodes on Sunday on Fox and the episodes that aired in syndication, you know, just going back to talking some of that before was not on Fox. And I feel like it was played by one of the independents and it might've been channel nine in the New York area, if I remember correctly. Okay. That's about right. So after the cheers reference, we get another reference to another married with children favorite. No, not Sally Struthers feeds the third world channel. Sally, open your purse up. I'm sure there's enough ding-dongs and ho-hos in there to start a new 7-Eleven. That's all these starving kids need. Someone like Sally standing there saying, are you going to finish that? Sally Struthers. Sally Struthers. (laughs) And a joke of a stash of food. (laughs) I mean, on the... On this topic, um, All in the Family had a, f- a few great Christmas episodes as well. The one that sticks out for me was the one from 1973 where Edith has a lump in her breast. And it's um, all, cause all in the Family's um, Christmas episodes were always a bit dramatic and not, not quite the same like Married to Children's were. There's always something serious going on, whether it was Archie not getting his bonus, a draft dodger at a Christmas table. Uh, yeah, so there's always a bit of tension in the bunker household at Christmas. 
So, so Sally was uh, sort of, uh, they, they poked fun at her about uh, seven times on Married with Children. And this was the sixth of seven uh, references to Sally. And all of you should check out my review of Ding Dongs, which you could find on the YouTube channel, if you have a moment. But uh, I really like how he's like sort of like, I mean, he's just throwing pure venom at the TV. And have, have any of you guys ever seen the Sally Struthers, like Feed the Children commercials? Yes. Yes, yes. I did. Because I, I had looked them up because we discussed her in Take My Wife, Please. And I actually piped in one of her lines in that because of that famous line that she says, do you want to make more money? Sure, we all do. <laughs> yeah, the Christian Children's Fund. Oh, and that was replayed. Like if, <laughs> if you were if you were watching TV during the day, so if you were like homesick and like and watching television in the U.S., you would see that commercial play multiple times an hour. Some of the some of the charities, like a charity like this, I believe that they were it was free airing, and each of the stations, as part of their FCC contract, had to like do some kind of like not for profit work. So they would play these commercials for like you know donating, like help the children, help the kids with the cleft lips and all that. So in if you were watching, let's say, something like a Fox affiliate during the day, I'm saying, let's say, between like 10 a.m. and 4 p.m., you would probably see that Christian Children's Fund commercial three times an hour. Wow. Minimum. So this is, I think, again, part of the part of the joke. And I think it goes back with like, it's a wonderful life. It's like, see, you know, I, I keep flipping the <laughs> channel and like every other channel. That's what's on TV. Yeah, she was referenced almost as much as Joe Piscopo by this point. Oh, yeah. Uh, he had a lot more venom for poor Joe, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they went slightly easier on Sally. Uh, yeah, Ding Dongs gets mentioned a lot, and you mentioned Ding Dongs, and you've done a Ding Dong review. We don't really have Ding Dongs here, although I have seen them somewhere, but I think it was in an American store. So one day I'll have a Ding Dong. I was going to ask that. So he says Ding Dongs and Ho Hos. Now I was assuming what, what I don't know what they are. I was, I was assuming it was Christmas related. But I was thinking, were they American candies or what? What are Ho Hos and Ding Dongs? It, it's a it's a cake. It's a prepackaged cake. Cake. So like what you should do? Yes, <laughs> very similar, and they're round. Mm. They look almost like hockey pucks. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you check out the YouTube channel, Steve, uh, you can see yeah. my review of Ding Dongs, where I actually eat one for the first <laughs> time in almost 30 years. Yeah, it's got cream in them. Yeah. Will do. I've had Twinkies and Ding Dongs. I don't think I've had Ho-Hos. Um, I don't mind them, but the, when it comes to sugary snacks, I um, prefer um, other things. I tend to prefer more British European style um, sugary snacks. <laughs> And ho-hos, that's, that's actually interesting you mentioned that. Ho-hos were mentioned in the episode when Take My Wife, Please. Death, who's played by Katie Segal, says that uh, there were ho-hos all over uh, the bathroom when they hauled Elvis out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right, that's right, yes. <laughs> and they're very similar in terms of taste and composition. It's just that the ho-ho is like a cylinder, cylindrical in shape, and the ding-dong is a hockey puck. Right. Shape of a hockey puck. So Alan Pegg keep changing channels and they do their perfectly synced. Change it. And they come across the TV version of It's a Wonderful Life. It's from a female perspective, starring Suzanne Plachette. <laughs> Who plays the female? And Suzanne Plachette, she's an American actress and she's probably best known for the Bob Newhart show from 1972 to 1978. 
and she passed away in 2008. But interestingly enough, she played Katie Seagal's mother on Eight Simple Rules in 2003. And she had, a, and I don't know if you guys are familiar with her, but she had a very deep voice. That's the reason why Al says, well, who plays the female? Who plays the female? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> sort of deep, sultry voice. Yeah. I mean, and that was probably an interesting thing about her. Yeah, we're, to- we're talking about a lot of classic television today. The Bob Newhart show from the from the seventies. The, the sequel to it was a show in the eighties called Newhart, and the series finale to Newhart is probably like I think ranked. Probably, I'm going to say the top ten best se- uh, series finales of all time, because. In Newhart, he plays a, uh, Bob Newhart plays a completely different character than from his Bob Newhart show. So in the series finale, what happens is, like the last two minutes of television, he wakes up in a bedroom, because it was a very wacky final episode, and turns, and his wife from the previous show, Suzanne Plachette, <laughs> is in bed, and he just said, it's like, I just had this very weird dream. And, you know, the, the studio audience went crazy because it, it all went with that whole dream sequence stuff that happened in the 80s. Yeah. Uh, if you think about, like, uh, Dallas... Or, married with uh, Children. Yeah, even Married with Children. <laughs> yeah, even Married with Children did that. Uh, and that was... Uh, that series finale was in 1990, uh, but uh, became very, very famous. And, you know, again, she had this really, like, deep, gravelly voice. If, again, if you're not familiar with her. A small part of me was hoping that Modern Family's series finale might go that route. Just a small part of me. I'm like, what if Jay were to roll over and wake up next to Peg? Yes. <laughs> but alas. Merry Christmas. Okay, Al. Guess who's under the mistletoe? <laughs> Now I know you're having a party over there. I am too. (laughs) Do you have any contraceptives? uh, I got a magazine with Whoopi Goldberg on the cover. That'll do. And to all a good night. I am almost positive they're having a party over there. So Marcy comes in and... Um, she's toast. She Yes. <laughs> she's wearing a racy Santa dress, fishnets, a silvery wig with mistletoe hanging off it, and she's quite maggoted. <laughs> so... Uh, can, can you explain maggoted to the American audience, please? <laughs> <laughs> I said that on purpose. Pissed as a knit. <laughs> Drunk as a skunk. Yeah, you know, so there's an Australian saying called let's get maggots, which means let's get real trashed or drunk. I met someone from that part of the world. I think she was from Singapore and uh, many years ago. And she said to me, uh, it's like, oh, you, you want to go for a piss up? And I'm like, a piss up? <laughs> <laughs> and... So she explained to me, he's like, oh, that means I'm going out to have a drink. And I'm like, well, so explain to me, how did you go from having a drink to pissing up instead of like pissing down, for example? (laughs) (laughs) 
Piss, unfortunately, in Australia, it's probably not so much now, but back in the day, piss was alcohol, basically. There were so many, uh, so many um, uh, phrases related to piss, like piss up, uh, drink more piss, uh, suck on more the piss. piss. <laughs> on the piss. Yeah. Get pissed. Get pissed. Yeah, that's, that's why I found it funny on uh, if you watch American shows and someone says, oh, I'm pissed, that means they're pissed off. But they're here angry, in Australia, yeah. it means, oh, they're, they're drunk. Mm. <laughs> hey, like, I'll tell you, this trip to Australia has been wonderful for me. Like, I have a lot of uh, – I learned a lot. And like I said, I've said before uh, on the – podcast episodes that i've hosted it's like we this is an educational podcast in addition to entertainment so hopefully you learn something if you're listening <laughs> oh it certainly is educational so uh Mar- yeah because marcy's got the mistletoe on her hat she chooses al to lean over and teases him and she kisses him on the cheek but this is not the last time that she will kiss him while she's pissed <laughs> and I believe Marcy's after contraceptives. And, and, and given how pissed she is, a, a picture of Whoopi Goldberg in a magazine is acceptable. <laughs> <laughs> this is like, I know you're having a party over there. So I am too. <laughs> now, I mentioned earlier there was a uh, podcast that Amanda Burst did. Uh, not our podcast. Uh, although she has been on it before, but this one is called The Laugh Track with somebody called Jerry Strauss. She appeared on there and she chose this episode to talk about. But one particular thing I thought was interesting is because she directed this episode as well as being in it, she likes to be up in the director's booth and calling all the shots. And so she has to run down in time to get onto the set in time for her scenes, etc. And she said that there is a picture of her somewhere that was taken of her in the director's booth dressed up in this Christmas outfit with the Merry Christmas on her ass and everything. So the full, the full Christmas outfit in the director's booth, a picture somewhere <laughs> exists of that. So one day we might be able to see that. But, yeah, that's a great little podcast if you get to uh, find it online. I might post a link. But she talks about this episode, what fun it was directing it, how very sort of, like we say, cartoonish it was, the Bud and Kelly plot, and then on the inside in the internal scenery we get basically a play in two acts so it's just that and she she loved the challenge of you know smoothly uh switching between the two different scenes going on and just the number of shots and things like that and she loved the different angles shooting up into bud's bedroom looking up she also uh compliments ed o'neill very well she said that ed would have made a very good silent movie actor like a comedy actor silent movie actor because he just he's just funny to watch but yeah, she she loved it. She said it was you know full of adrenaline, and I I completely believe her. So that's worth checking out if you've got a spare fifty minutes or so. Yeah, great stuff. And she mentions and to all a good night as she walks out, which is a reference to the poem, the "Towards the Night Before Christmas" poem that links back to "It's a Wonderful Life" again because Al recited his version of that poem in that one. Right. The official name for it is A Visit from St. Nicholas, Clement Clark Moore, 1822, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I knew it was C.C. Moore. I didn't know his name. So that's good. Yeah, there's actually a controversy because supposedly Moore, there's a, a member of the Livingston family from New York State because this poem was actually ma- uh, written in New York State. Uh, and actually, a little bit of useless information about it is that 
the the whole concept of Christmas, the modern day concept of Christmas with like Santa Claus and his sleigh and all that comes from that poem. And it's actually an American invention, believe it or not. There's been controversy over who the who actually authored it. Supposedly, people who say that Moore didn't write it say that, you know, he claimed authorship uh, many years after it was first published because nobody else claimed ownership of it. But there are members of the Livingston family of New York State, which is a very old family that's been here since the Dutch days, that says that it was one of their ancestors who used to write poems like this, who probably submitted it to the newspaper. It was, I believe, in Troy, New York, when it was first published in a small newspaper, and it was one of those things that just caught on. So some useless info for you. (laughs) Now on Home Shopping Channel, we're offering this gold-plated necklace. We've been offering it at $49, but for the next 10 minutes, you can buy it for 49 cents. <laughs> Look what they put on TV. Look how hideous this stuff is. Do they actually think that women will go for this? Uh, yes, I'd like three, please. So yeah, more TV jokes. We get uh, jokes about the Home Shopping Channel, which is always good for a laugh. Yeah, so I'm not sure what the, I can't remember the item was, but it went from $49 to 49 cents. $49 from 1993 is now $87.42, which in Australian money is $120.89 in dollar dues. Funny thing is, my mum, back in the mid-2000s, uh, used to watch the Home Shopping Channel a lot, but fortunately didn't squander all her money on it. Well, I mean, forty-nine cents sounds like a bargain, though, right? Yeah, yeah, for a gold, a gold-plated necklace. Yes. So, so what would that be a dollar twenty-nine in Australian dollars? Yeah, pretty much uh, around a dollar twenty-one. Uh, <laughs> yes, which isn't much money here at all. That does not go very far here in Australia. You can't even buy a tin of fizzy drink for that. <laughs> a couple of times through this episode, we've had Kelly and then Bud run through the episode and say "Merry Christmas" as a sneak out the door but rule of threes of course so when kelly comes down this is the third time she says happy birthday (laughs) how is that kelly (laughs) a and e the arts and entertainment channel presents it's a hitler christmas (laughs) it's an entertainment channel i thought we had that blocked (laughs) it's a hitler christmas yeah Heil, honey, I'm home, right, Matt? (laughs) Oh, that's right. Yeah, it's the Christmas version. It's the Christmas episode of that show, which was a major hit, obviously, in the early 90s, wasn't it? Heil, honey. Heil, honey. Heil, honey. Heil, honey. Heil, honey. Hello. I'm home. Heil, honey. Heil, honey. Smile, honey. Because I'm home. It's great to be Top Gun, but it's nothing like the fun that I get when I say hi, honey, I am home. Hi, honey. Smile, honey. Gee, it's great to be back. Hi, honey, I'm home. <laughs> but, I but on another note, I don't know if any of you have ever seen Downfall parodies, which are basically comedic parodies of an actually really serious film about the Nazis. I actually made a Downfall parody about the Married to Children DVD music from the Sony DVDs years back. Oh, yes, I have seen that, yes. Is this the thing where they uh, have the Nazi scenes and you put different voices over top of it? Subtitles, that's it, yes. Yeah, you got the original German audio, because it was dubbed into a few languages, but not English, so a typical downfall parody is the original German footage with new English subtitles on it, (laughs) like Hitler wonders why he's being trolled, or in one I did, Hitler complains about Merida Children's DVD music. Speaking of music, 
Now available on CD, cassette, and yes, 8-track. It's a country Christmas. Here's such hits as Let's Put the Lights on the Trailer. Let's put the lights on the trailer. Is that Rudolph's nose or Daddy's? <laughs> Is that Rudolph's nose or Daddy's? <laughs> Grandma's frozen on the porch swing. <laughs> Oh, this is one of my favourite scenes of all time, guys. Let's put the lights on the trailer. <laughs> and all they, they all sound the same. <laughs> oh, that's that's hilarious. Uh, yeah, you remember in the Million Mile um, Dodge episode? Uh, what is that? Get Out of Dodge? That's coming up this season. <laughs> it's like he's listening to the radio and uh, they play a country song. It's like, and that's when my hound dog started looking good to me. And <laughs> Al says, it's like, uh, who is the genius who made West Virginia a state? <laughs> uh, did you guys have a track in Australia? Back in the 70s. In the 70s, okay. yeah. We, we had 8-track in the 70s. Yep. Yeah, so, Matt, you're on the younger end of the age spectrum. So have you ever actually operated an 8-track player? No, I can't say I have. I used audio cassettes when I was young, but never an 8-track. I just know that they typically were fitted to cars in particular of the period. Yeah, I mean, they had cars. You also had them, like, with turntables. When I was young, my parents had – we had a car with an 8-track player, and we had – a turntable slash uh, eight-track player for the home. So I, I remember, uh, again, you could ha- only have eight songs on the tape, and uh, you had four buttons, which were like an A, B side of the track. So in other words, um, Steve, you probably remember how these worked, right? You put, you put, your, you put the cassette in. Uh, you almost like loaded it in. It was like a front loader. You played the song, and if you wanted to hear, let's say, like I think it was like track one and eight, if I'm not mistaken, is that the way it works, Steve? Something like that, yeah. Like, it was like track one and eight, two and seven or something like yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. something you sort of program it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, because like, that goes with like Al Bundy being a purveyor of old formats. Remember, he had a beta cassette player? Yes. Yes. So <laughs> if anyone by 1994 still had 8-track, it would have been Al. Yeah, yep. well, he was excited to get his 8-track back in the old insurance dodge last season. Nelly Bell, my 8-track. <laughs> You know, there was a great joke in the Blues Brothers. I mean, sort of related because uh, one of my favorite movies, it goes, uh, they're, they're chasing the Blues Brothers, the country band. And it's a very subtle line. The guy goes, uh, they're playing music and he's being chased by Bob from Bob's Country Bunker, like is, is sitting in the passenger seat. And he says, uh, I hate FM. <laughs> you know, and the joke is that uh, by like 1980, most radio had been was starting to broadcast on FM band, which is stereo. And prior to that, most of it was on the AM band, like up until the 60s. So in the 70s, there was this big transition from mono to stereo recordings. So like the joke was, is that this guy just loved mono. <laughs> you know, so it's, it goes along the same lines. It's like, you know, having an A-track in 1994 is... Uh, uh, yeah. Bit of a joke. Oh, I, I love all those Christmas songs that are all to the same tune. It's one of the. That's what I said. It, it just every time I watch that, I literally roll on the floor laughing. 
and you, you watch it. I watch it two or three times. I watch it with both of them. Then I'll watch Peg by herself. But then I focus <laughs> on Al, and I just cannot stop laughing the way Al goes after every song. Mm. It's just hilarious. And it's like you were saying that he would be a good silent comic. Yeah, yeah. Because he fa- pretends to shoot himself here as well when he's listening to these songs. Ooh. When he just mouths something that last one, I, I swear he drops the F word. <laughs> <laughs> just watch his mouth when he says, I'm, I'm sure there's an F word there somewhere. Not, not just the word frozen. <laughs> yeah, that one. <laughs> Let's go with that. So, Bud and Kelly, they're almost succeeding. They're, they're, they're both pulling up the jukebox this time. See, I told you it'd be easier if we both did the pulling. Oh, great, Kel. Now who's going to be upstairs to lift it through the window since we're both down here? All right. Hey, I'll go do it. Oh. Poor Bud. Was it just me or did anybody else get really upset when the jukebox smashed? Oh, I, I did. I was a bit upset. Yeah, I thought it was a shame. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and it looks like it was a real jukebox that got smashed. So I, mm. I feel for, I feel for it. It's like if they actually destroyed a uh, a real jukebox for that show, that was such a shame. I assume they got like an out of work jukebox or something, one that's not working anymore, and just yeah, <laughs> was able to smash it to pieces because yeah, it did look real. Well, it's not the first time anything in TV valuable was smashed. I mean, think of all the General Lee, General Lees or Dodge Chargers and the Dukes of Hazard that were trashed for filming that show. Ooh. Yeah, it's a few hundred, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's, it was well over a hundred of them. So think of all the Dodge Chargers that were basically ruined filming that. So one jukebox, which hopefully wasn't working properly, is nothing. But then I don't know if it's because of the jukebox crashing or what, or if it's just a coincidence, but the power goes out briefly. What are we going to do, Peg? There's no TV! <laughs> well, we could cuddle. Be serious, Peg! <laughs> yeah, because Al wishes there was no TV. Yeah. Well, his wish, because he's like, I hate TV, I hate TV! Power goes out. Guess his wish. Yeah. Well, it's just interesting. All Peg has to say is, like, well, we could cuddle. <laughs> <laughs> Be serious, Peg. <laughs> but it's okay, the lights come back on. Something got salvaged from that jukebox crash because Bud and Kelly come in and there's actually quite a touching moment here. Really sorry, but this is the only thing hey, left. Hey, no. <laughs> Your kids bought us a record? Well, yeah, yeah, we got that's you a record. That's what we got for <laughs> <laughs> Wow, Nat King Cole sings the Christmas song. Mm-hmm. It's been so long since I heard Nat without Natalie. <laughs> I'm put it on. And then the sadness basically fades away, and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is a gift. Basically, lie, forget about the jukebox, here's a gift. <laughs> and as far as we know, they never found out about the jukebox because um, they never actually go out the, the back in this episode. So as far <laughs> as Ellen and Peggy know, there was no jukebox. Nah, I assume somebody cleared it away. And, you know, that was a callback for me to the um, episode when Al is looking for the 45 of Anna, mm. also yeah. known as Go With Him. Go With Him, yeah. But this one is a Christmas song, and it's been so long since I've heard Nat, Nat King Cole, without Natalie Cole, which is a very funny joke because I think uh, Natalie Cole, as one uh, song in particular called Unforgettable, she did a remake of that and fashioned it as a duet with her late father, and that came out in 1991, 
and she's she since did another duet with her father. But because of that duet, I think uh, she had recorded um, a Christmas song before because it was in a movie called Scrooge, right, Luigi? That's right. And Scrooge actually features Buck the dog. So that's another film to watch this Christmas. I mean, I think that one of the little tidbits about the Christmas song that I enjoy is that it was written by Mel Torme. And uh, we mentioned Mel Torme in episode 805. If you don't know, Mel Torme was Jewish. So here's a Jewish man writing a Christmas song. Uh, there was a great article in the New York Times a few years ago talking about how it's called, uh, I think it was like, Oi, the Herald Angels Sing, instead of Hark, the Angels Sing. Because like about, like about 10 very famous Christmas songs were actually composed by Jewish authors. Yes. Yeah, so uh, it's interesting how like, you know, the religious aspect, you would think there would be like a Christian person you know, writing or singing it. And actually, there are a lot of famous Jewish composers who wrote Christmas songs. Berlin, yeah. Yeah, and you know, this whole joke with Natalie Cole, if I'm not mistaken, if not, maybe Steve, you, you might remember this. Uh, again, I don't know what your listening habits are, but when Natalie Cole came out with Unforgettable and, you know, she sang some of these songs, it really started this trend in the 90s where they would be doing duets and you yeah. would have like somebody like Dean Martin singing with a modern day uh, singer. And that trend has continued to the present day. So you'll hear, uh, I don't know, it might be Frank Sinatra or Tony Bennett, et cetera. Yes, definitely was the first one I can remember, but there's definitely been a lot since. And there's been a lot of um, um, like a combined videos as well. Yeah, holograms. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But the Unforgettable, I think there was a video of Unforgettable where she was singing with there the was. father in the background. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's been done a number of times. There's been full albums of those sort of combined tracks. Yeah, and we also hear Nat's version of Christmas Song at the end of You Better Watch Out, which was the first Married with Children Christmas episode. Yeah, right at the end there. <laughs> oh, kids. Ah, it really is a wonderful life. <laughs> As nuts roasting <laughs> Because it is a wonderful life, according to Al. <laughs> That's, that doesn't sound like Al, does it? <laughs> no. <laughs> and then we finish with uh, one of the sounds of my childhood. That's a record stuck in the groove. <laughs> To you. Yeah, did we like that ending? Uh, felt weak. After all the all the good stuff before, it just it just yeah, it just stopped really suddenly, didn't it? Just like that. Yeah. Hmm. A little bit. I mean, but let's face it, the record couldn't have been working. This is Married with Children. They couldn't have had a functional record at the end. No. And on another note, uh, what's everyone's favourite Christmas songs? Some of mine include Slade's Merry Christmas Everybody, Don't Mind a Bit of Shaken Stevens, Merry Christmas Everyone, uh, Taylor Swift's new one from last year, Christmas Tree Farm. Uh, I like a lot of Christmas music from the old traditional carols to um, modern ones, so I'm quite, I'm quite eclectic with my Christmas taste in music. A lot of it's been influenced by my trip to see family in the UK over the years. How about, how about the rest of you? Yeah, I'm with you. There, Matt, because I've got a British background as well, and the, the, the Slade one tops my tree. I've actually got a 12-inch disco remix of that track. 
Um, yes. <laughs> and I actually spent um, a Christmas in England several years ago, and that's when I first really hooked onto that Shaken Stevens one. The Tom Petty one's good. I like that one. A few others. I've got a, a list, and the Nat King Cole is on my list of uh, about 50, 60 tracks that get played every single Christmas on, on non-stop rotation. But, uh, yeah, some, some really good ones. A couple of... Oh, there's a couple of Australian ones that don't really pass muster. Probably the old 55 one's probably the only one I remember that's any good. There's, um, there's some good ones around. There's some rubbish as well. Oh, I suppose the other one that gets played out here a lot would be the Mariah Carey one. That gets flogged to death <laughs> out here. Ah. That really does get flogged to death in Australia. <laughs> uh, same in the US. <laughs> mm. That just clicked with me then. I thought, oh, no, that's right. That song gets played nonstop in Australia. It's probably playing right now. Yeah. Yeah, and let, and let me actually ask you this question. Uh, uh, the so now that we've entered the Christmas season, like here in the US, starting around, it used to be Thanksgiving was the beginning of the Christmas season. Although uh I would say over the last 20 years it keeps being mo- uh, moved back a week. I feel like the day after Halloween you start seeing Christmas stuff out like in the stores. <laughs> but uh do you guys have like a Christmas only radio stations that play? That, that, I see. I see them on the internet. On the on the on internet stations are easy to find. I don't think there's any actual stations. Though I think on Foxtel, they do have a themed Christmas station that plays, but only in December, I think. Yeah. No. We we get subjected to Christmas music nowadays. I'm going to say maybe starting around November fifteenth or so. It might even be like a little week earlier. And this is. I'm not talking about like um, satellite radio. I'm just talking about ter- terrestrial radio. Any part of the U.S. you go to, there's at least one t- station that's dedicated to playing Christmas music 24-7 until Christmas Day. And I always say to myself, I feel so sorry for the people who actually work at those radio stations who have to listen to what's being broadcast because they probably want to suffocate themselves with tinsel by the time you get to Christmas. Yeah. Well, you hear it in supermarkets constantly from about late November onwards. There's a dedicated radio station somewhere. I suppose it's just supermarket radio. They just play Christmas songs nonstop. But speaking of a Christmas song, well, actually, I should say I don't really have a favorite Christmas song, even though I do like the Slade song as well. But I usually go by certain artists who have covered a certain song. Like I like Oh Holy Night as a Christmas song. I'll look up who's sung that. So anyone who can hit that high note is okay with me. Heart recovered it fairly recently. There's, there's been, you know, Kelly Clarkson. Everybody has, has covered it. <laughs> but speaking of a Christmas song in relation to this episode, that was actually sung on a television special in 2002 by Katie Segal, and I have put that on YouTube. Her version, it's very nice, and she's also covered "Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas." She, she did that for. <laughs> Back when she was on a TV show on NBC in the year 2000, they got all these NBC stars to record a Christmas album. And she was one of them because they just picked anyone who could sing. And, and so she covered that song for that. And I think that the audio of that is on YouTube as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, at least I'll say for myself, I think Christmas song is probably on the top of my list. Yeah. I think it's just a great song, great lyrics. I like songs of the 1950s because I, I feel like... Uh, it's like that's the period, I think for many people, it's like when rock and roll had gotten in, come into its prime. And that's what people, I think, associate with, at least of a certain generation. And if you're a baby boomer, that's the kind of music you would be listening to. Somebody like an Al Bundy would be listening to that. So from 
the Christmas Vacation movies. We're all, <laughs> all familiar with Meli Kalikimaka. Yep. Uh, I think that's, uh, you know, top of my list or Run Run Rudolph. Yeah. You know, th- th- those are like, you know, like like great songs. Uh, there's a couple of ethnic ones like Mamacita, Donde Esta Santa Claus. <laughs> yeah, I think like those are like my favorites. I'm not really, uh, I, the traditional ones are the traditional ones, but I think I like a little more of an up-tempo, like, happy beat to them. I forgot to mention what a favorite of mine, um, all good pixel each, but a guilty Christmas favorite of mine is Kelly Clarkson's Underneath the Tree. <laughs> Do you want to be underneath the tree with her? Oh, possibly. I mean, I've been forced <laughs> to sing karaoke of her songs in the past by a friend, but um, not that one. <laughs> so I have been underneath her tree a bit. No, ma'am. We'll be right back to wrap up this week's review. Be sure to join their Facebook group page for all the podcast news and updates. Be sure to subscribe to them on the Apple Podcast app and please leave a review telling them what you think of the show. To subscribe to their YouTube channel, just go to channels and search up Married with Children Podcast. Join their Patreon and support your favorite podcast with a small monthly donation. You can email them at marriedwchildrenpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for checking out this review. So... How many times do you want to change the channel for this episode, <laughs> Matt? Okay, well, bits of the episode were a little bit weak, especially the ending. So it's not, not quite, I wouldn't quite go five out of five, but I don't know if it's possible to change the channel, but I'm going to change the channel four and a half times out of five. Uh, I mean, I love Christmas episodes in general. Uh, Merited Children's generally were pretty good. Just the whole, the story with the jukebox, how he's oblivious to the party. All the, t- the TV references really make it for me too, because you've got, well, you've got Cheers, you've got Sally Struthers, you've got A&E, BET, Country Christmas, uh, Michael Bolton, all of this in the one episode. Not to mention the, Christ- the Christmas song at the end, which sadly um, doesn't play properly. Uh, and, and hey, I'm a sucker for It's a Wonderful Life reference. So th- there you have it. I'll change the channel four and a half times, but I don't know what I'm changing it to. Hang on, what's on here down in Australia? Dip, 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 dip. Nice. So how many times are you going to be changing channels, Steve? I'm going to be very similar, Matt, and change it 4.5 times. I'm a bit the same. The only thing that spoils it to me is probably the, just the week ending. Uh, apart from that, I'd probably put this as my second favourite Married with Children Christmas episode after the very first one. Um, I like the real-time feel of it, how it goes through. Um, I just love the, the, the vibe on the couch of, uh, of Peg and, and Al and everything going on in terms of what's on the TV, going through the changing the channels and all that, because I can relate to that, grabbing the remote, fighting over the remote and who's t- turning it. And if you're watching something, someone's saying, we well, you have to watch this. I can re- really relate to that. So, and especially those things with the, 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 the TV channels and, and it just, it just, I, I, I have one extra point just for that, um, changing. Uh, the, the country music I, I just find that hilarious and I cannot watch that without giggling I just absolutely love that so it's one of my favourite parts of, it, of any episode but apart from that I just like the feel of it um, the, 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 uh, 
the little bit in the background with Kelly and, and Bud trying to smuggle the jukebox in is also very, very funny. We see a little bit of Marcy and Jefferson, but they're a little bit peripheral to all this, but it all fits in and blends in pretty well. So, yeah, it is one of my favourite ones. Uh, uh, like I said, it's probably my second favourite Christmas episode. So I'll give it a 4.5, just that week ending. Excellent. Nice. So how many times are you changing the channel, Luigi? Well, I'm not going to change the channel as much. I'm going to give this a three and a half channel changes. So one of the things I love about Married with Children is how like, it thumbs its nose and satirizes things like Christmas. To me, like the gold standard has always been the first Christmas episode when Santa falls on the roof. I, I just think that was so irreverent. It's, I think, something I had never seen. I think the shock value for me, and yeah, remembering I watched it as a nine-year-old <laughs> in its first run, it was very it was very shocking to me and just, like, funny because, like, everything was dark about it. And obviously, I mean, that to me, if I was rating that, I'd give that a five. I would give the Sam Kennison one a five. This one was okay. Like, I don't hate it. Annabelle, usually you've talked about bottle episodes. I mean, and to me, like this was a bottle episode. Is that you know? Would you classify it that way? Yeah, I think so because it all uh, essentially takes place in the same room or in the same set. Anyway, I mean, we get Bud and Kelly outside, but they're still very much part of the A story. If that makes sense. So, yeah, I, I, I almost uh, classify that as a bottle app. Yeah, like you know, the they sort of threw Jefferson and Marcy in just to have them there. Hmm. I mean, they really don't add much to the plot at all. I mean, there's not even, like I'd say, really funny lines that come out of them. It was a little heartwarming to see Bud and Kelly trying to do something nice for their parents. And I thought it was, you know, horrible how, <laughs> like, I mean, I thought it was almost mean-spirited because Peg at the end is like, you know, they give something to Kelly and it's like, oh, Bud, well, like, Merry Christmas. And you can see, like, the look on his face, like, uh, I, I feel like I feel like there could have been a little more comedic to it because I almost felt sympathy for him. I and mean, that's not the point of the show. The, the point of the show is to like satirize and laugh at it. But maybe because I like sappy films like It's a Wonderful Life, it you know, it um, it pulls me a certain way. So I, I mean, based on that and the, I mean, I still think that the episode that was the season seven Christmas episode, that was when uh, Santa's at the mall. Like I feel like that one. I, I, at least when ranking the Christmas episodes, I thought it was even a little better than this. So I can only go with three and a half on this one. Sorry, guys. That's okay. I'm fine. Well, I think I will be changing channels five times. And what can I say? I absolutely love this episode. And I'm not sure I can fully explain why, because it's, been, it's all been covered in our review today. Everything that you guys have said is on point, and I certainly don't disagree with anything. It's, it's beautifully paced. It's well-directed. It's nicely written, especially Alan Pegg's little, like their chemistry on the couch is fantastic. I always love their chemistry whenever they get to do things together, just them watching TV as a plot. I mean, it's, it's so simple and construct, but it absolutely works. And there's, there's, jokes left right and center i love all the references to television but yeah it works like a play like steve said in sort of uh, like a two-act play with just one scene break yeah and we've got this cartoonish element with bud and kelly out the back but it doesn't take away anything for me and even if it does end a little bit abruptly but it does end with that sort of edge with the record skips so that's broken too and Marcy, drunk Marcy is always a hoot and Marcy and Jefferson are peripheral in this episode but it doesn't matter and it just it just works for me 
right. I said I was going, and I'm going. But let me tell you something. I'm not going to just disappear. You'll see me again. Wherever a fat woman shoves a smelly foot <laughs> in front of some poor guy's face, I'll be there. And now, the last word on this episode. Calling in from his two-thirds acre retirement property on Lake Chickamacomico that the government hasn't yet padlocked, Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the creator and executive producer of the Married with Children podcast, Mr. Alex Edwards. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas with a Christmas review in December. Yes, I love pointing that out. It's getting old, only because it's been happening too often. Gotta love the Bundy's Charlie Brown Christmas tree. Awesome. <laughs> I love they say that It's a Wonderful Life is overplayed, like, around Christmas. Meanwhile, you guys did a parody of that movie. Uh, listen, it was the greatest episode with Sam Kennison. You know, we went way in-depth. Uh, we gave those two episodes uh, more love and attention than they might deserve, but I think it was pretty fitting. But I'm a lunatic, so. Or you could keep down Christmas special. <laughs> that's that's a, amazing. So a jukebox fell off of a truck, so they're giving it away as a gift? If, if that jukebox fell off a truck, I think it would look like it looked at the end of this episode. But that could be a term. Uh, I know a guy who takes in deliveries or I don't know what he does for a living. But all I know is that basically they say things fell off the truck with quotations around it. Which means they basically are stealing from the truck. But I don't know. I don't know if Bud has connections like that. And the whole thing is ludicrous anyway. I mean, Bud goes along with Kelly's bright idea to hide this in one of their rooms, in one of their bedrooms. Why not just throw a sheet over it in the garage for... It's only a few hours. It's Christmas Eve. Oh, right. Bud thinks the garage is too cold to house a jukebox for a few hours. Imagine that premise. Who thought of this? Like, what? Al and Peg don't realize Marcy is throwing a Christmas party this year, and they just weren't invited. <laughs> and why does the music that plays from Marcy's house sound like the same bad music that was playing inside of her bank in that one Christmas episode. It's always like din 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 with that. It sounds like some Casio. Uh it's just like the weirdest version of of that Christmas song. It's just god awful. Jefferson coming in with his party guests coming in for more chairs and the whole table and beer. Like, that whole exchange between Al and Jefferson is just incredible. How could such a great premise be going on while the kids have such a forced premise? Al breaking the fourth wall and saying, I really hate this commercial, and then the commercial comes on? I'm not sure how I feel about that. Luckily, budding Kelly's whole bit totally pays off with the, the use of the dummies and all the damage and injuries uh, that Bud endures. Who also breaks the fourth wall by looking at us and saying, oh no. And, you know, when she's going to pull the rope or let go of the rope or whatever. I'm okay with that, though. I don't have any issue with that fourth wall breaking. Marcy kisses Al. Wow, you don't see that too often. So Peg was at the party 
because she came back with that hat on, but doesn't mind not staying at it. Like, she's willing to do that huge a favor to keep Al away from there? That is just weird. The jukebox crashes. Bud lands on top of it. I mean, the visual... Everything was just great. And they had almost a touching family moment at the end. But it ended in typical Bundy fashion with the record skipping. And they can't have... And it, it started off so great. The Nat King Cole song started off, it sounded so nice with the music and them there and Al holding everyone saying it's a wonderful life and you almost think you're going to get a nice Christmas moment, but they cannot let that happen. (laughs) So I think this was a really good spin on um, what was going on with TV sitcom Christmas episodes. They were able to make it Christmassy enough and not wholesome in the way we all know and love. And I thought it was pretty funny. Although the premise of Bud and Kelly was just absolutely ludicrous. What they did to accomplish this feat was worth the watch. I give this a 4 out of 5. I really liked The Worst Noel. That's Al, folks! Alright, so that's our review of Married with Children's Season 8 Christmas episode. I hope you've enjoyed listening. We've enjoyed discussing it. Have a very happy Christmas and a happy Thanksgiving to our American friends. And we will see you next time when the Marriage Children podcast will be reviewing Sofa So Good with Alan Peggy away for a family reunion with her family in Wanker County, Wisconsin, where everyone's last name is Wanker and is relative. Bud lets Kelly have the house Saturday night when her date accidentally destroys the family couch Kelly must travel to the far corners of Illinois to find the crazed, hermit-like former maker of the couch to ask for a replacement before her parents come home. Awesome. Wonderful. Mega Brill.